If you look at the key verse this morning, we many times we overlook some of the details of the story because maybe they're being told by somebody else rather than looking at what the text is saying. But something uh, interesting in this particular verse, if you follow along and look at your Bibles, if you would, at Luke chapter 2, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And so we're looking at them rather than him a little bit as far what's different. Many times we think that the rejection was because of the Lord Jesus Christ, and really there was no room for mom and dad. There was no room for Joseph and Mary in all of this. And so we look to this particular story sometimes, and, and sometimes when it comes to Christmas, we're real good at feeling Christmas rather than thinking Christmas. And so what I mean by that, a lot of times we like the emotional feeling that we get from Christmas Day. Many of us look back at our childhood and remember uh, the mystery of it all. You know, in our home, it was always the most, the most glorious time of year. And ever since we're a little, ever since I was a little boy, it was always, I remember the first Christmas I really can remember, I got an army uh like a, like a suit that you'd put on and zip up in the front, and it, it had U.S. Army on it, and I got a tank. I got to sit on the tank. It had wheels. Uh, I think the Lord knew that I was going to be a tanker in the Marine Corps. Uh, I don't know why it said Army on it, but anyway, we, uh, we, we really enjoyed those years. I remember coming home from Christmas activities uh, at other families' homes, like maybe it was Christmas Eve. I can't remember, but I remember my mom saying that the elves came in and put... Um, pajamas under my pillow, and so I'd come running into the bedroom and looking, and there was there was there was new pajamas there, and that's back when you used to wear pajamas, and and so we would throw them on, and it was so fresh and so new, and everything seemed to be so fine, and and, and but the but the story was always that Jesus Christ had come, and that's why we're celebrating it. I think last week's little poem I gave that. How would you like to go to a birthday party and everybody else get gifts and you don't get any? And how would you feel concerning that? And so when it comes to Christmas, perhaps feeling gets in the way sometimes. And we do believe in the plenary verbal inspiration of the Word of God. And so when we're looking at the story and reading about this, I thought it was nice that um, Alex was able to read all of the verses because we see it in its, in its context. Luke really um, wrote here concerning Christ, I believe, in a most certain way, and not just uh, to trust the wisdom of selection, uh, what he chose to write down, but also that the Lord was with him at that time, and God directed him. And anytime someone has written about someone else, it seems only most intriguing that, that, that the most intriguing things are recorded. And, uh, but the details are absolutely essential. And to fully understand and appreciate the motive and the temper of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, we have to realize that he had a very humble beginning as a child. And maybe we have had that. Uh, you look back at your Christmas time, some of you older folks, and remember uh, that some of you only got one orange in your stocking, and that was really something at that time. Wow, we got an orange, or we got an apple, or uh, unheard of to have it overflowing and all kinds of stuff coming out of the stocking like we have today. But uh, I think in the beginning of this, and understand a little bit more 
of the Lord Jesus Christ is to learn of Him. And the Bible tells us that we ought to learn of Him. And, and even Paul wrote, you have not so learned Christ. And uh, learning who He was and how He had a humble beginning. Uh, 11.29 of Matthew says, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. And so it was only man's recording of this account when we could say that his observation um, may, be, may be flawed if it was just his account. However, since that which is perfect has come, then we can trust the recorded word with confidence. And, uh, of course, uh, Luke gives us that uh, uh, certainty of these things are in order as we read the account of Luke. Every detail of your life is significant in making you at what you are. And every single detail of Christ in his upbringing made him who he was. Of course, he was the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, but he was fully human also at the same time. And so even the slightest event in your life had a part in making you who you are. Even the bad things have made you who you are. It is the faintest touch of the brush that brings some of the most meaningful effects to any picture. And it's the single note, perhaps, on a piano or on a violin that makes the difference in a song. And a lot of times we look at our lives that way, that God has given us opportunities, but He has made you who you are. And God makes no mistakes. And God knows who you are and how you're feeling in this morning. God knows every detail of this Christmas story is important. And our focus this morning is only on part of one of the, story, of one of the things in that, was that there was no room in the inn. And so I want to focus on that for a little bit. Every detail of this story, of course, is important. And so they recorded that there was no room for the Lord Jesus Christ and for the family and for really Mary to have a baby. She had to have it in a barn, um, in a stable. And this is also uh, typical of our day, is when it seems like everything seems to be crowding out the Lord Jesus Christ and removing Christ from everything. And I, I think it's interesting that some of the public schools don't want you to put de- de- decorate your, your, your doors of your rooms. I remember hearing years ago that they couldn't put up any kind of manger scenes in the school, you know, directing away from that because it could be controversial or damage the kids. Oh, take away Christ out of the school because the kids might get damaged. Look what it's done taking Christ out of the school, taking prayer out of the school. Oh my, my, we have such educated people today, don't we? We have such intellectual folks that are taking care of our children today that actually we can look to. But society itself would like to push Jesus out completely from uh, the Christmas time, and they would like us to put Xmas rather than Christmas, and they would like to remove completely. I remember years ago, uh, reading this in U.S. Today, they published uh, a story The story was by Lillian Reed, and she said a religious holiday display at the center of a dispute between two Gettysburg, Pennsylvania Pennsylvania, uh, area residents uh, and their neighborhood homeowners association. And the homeowners association had a problem with what they had put out for a display. His name was Mark Wivel. He put up a Christmas decoration on December 16th, which includes a display in which uh, the mulch bed... uh, uh, in the mulch bed, there was a small display that said Jesus written on it as a reminder of what he says is the reason for the season and the birth of Jesus Christ. And so Wivel uh, and his wife Lynn, uh, really they were, they were heartbroken when they received an email 
a few days from from that time they put it out from their home, uh, from the homeowners association, asking the couple to remove the display. And one of the neighbors had complained that the sign was offensive. And an email from the association stated, "We know that Christmas was about the the birth of Christ." Um, Wivell said, I, "I was quite shocked it offended somebody, uh, but I guess it's today's world in which we live in." Um, while the homeowners association was not concerned with the content of the sign, officials felt that it was not in accordance with normal Christmas decorations and asked it to be taken down. Um, the Wivels' dispute with the association ultimately boiled down to whether the display is considered a sign or a decoration. And so he was able to fight it and came back and said it was a decoration, not a sign, and so he was able to keep it up. And the point in all of this was that a lot of times we have to push back on some of these humanistic people that think that they can rule when they've not been in place to rule, and so we must push them back, and our voice needs to speak out about how wonderful the Lord Jesus Christ is, even when it comes to passing out tracts. And someone would say, well, you can't do that uh, on this particular area. You've got to be careful. You can't pass tracts out and so on. Listen, if you get put in jail for passing a track out, so what? Do <laughs> You need to tell people, and I need to tell people about Jesus Christ, amen? People say, well, aren't you afraid that you continue to have services at your church during a time when they're actually saying you shouldn't have them? I am not even one little bit concerned about what they say. I am concerned about what God desires. I am concerned about what God has actually commanded us to do, to gather and to be able to assemble and to be able to encourage one another. I'm so thankful that the doors have been open. We've had people come in here uh, even during the week that are in need and, and, and we were able to help them. And a lot of times we need to push back when it comes to the Lord, but it seems like this particular crowd uh, is pushing out the Lord Jesus and didn't have room for him, of course, in the beginning years. Of his, of his life, but also now even more so. And he was crowded out of, from the inn's homes of that day, and they found his resting place among the world's sheds and stables, among the poor and the common people. And so as we face 2021, we see a busy and preoccupied culture. Um, and, and I think that preoccupation is why I titled the message, really, the year of preoccupation. That's what 2020 has been. It's been a year that we've been thinking about all kinds of other things. We've been directed by the news to focus on things. They want us to be listening to them. And it's amazing to me how the news now is more indoctrination than it is uh, really information that's coming out from what's happening around the world. And they are actually creating a, a mess for people. We see an unbelieving world that makes room for education, entertainment, and hobbies. And, and they, it says that they have no room for Christ. It's just not that men have rejected him, but have accepted so many other things that there seems to be no room for Jesus and no room to focus on him. It seems like that's the kind of culture we live in. That's the kind of world that's out there today. 
And we see that here in the beginning story of the Lord Jesus Christ in Luke chapter 2. And if you turn in your Bibles, you can see in verse number 1 that it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree. That's a law from Caesar Augustus. And the word Augustus, he added that. It means honorable. And this is the kind of person he was. He felt like he could uh, make these laws and make these rules because he had a desire to have this Roman dominion. And we see that, uh, that really, Judah, Judea was, was subject to Roman law at this particular time, and so there was that desire to get them all to come home so that they could actually find out who their names were, list of citizens, their employment, their wages they made, and how much property they owned, and their items that they had. And all of that was part of the census if you were to do a historical writing on what took place back when Jesus came uh, from Nazareth into Bethlehem, where they had the baby, of course, in a manger. We would see that there was a desire for Roman dominion the first time, and, and I said, in my article in the, in, the, in the State Journal that, that this really is an interesting time because the Lord Jesus Christ seems to be speaking to us as individuals by allowing us to have the stay-home policies that they're presenting, that we ought to stay home through all of this, and we ought to live in fear, and then we ought to do this and do that, and all these guidelines are coming down from, from the government, that it seems like there is a desire for a, a dominion, if you would, or, or an overriding of the kingdom of God. But let me tell you something, no matter how satanic this dominion and this earth gets, it can never overcome the dominion of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of Christ. Nothing can overcome his kingdom. He will be forever and ever, and every person that's trusted Christ as their Savior is part of that wonderful understanding and that kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the beginning years, there was a slaughter to kill the babies, and it's still happening today. and understand, boy, we live in a culture now that it's relevant to, to Luke chapter 2. And we see that the, Jesus came the first time and they had probably the first stay-at-home policy is what I wrote in the article here and, and, and how that they were to go home. And how can we get them home? Tell them that there's going to be a, a census. And, of course, we have that today, a desire for dominion. I think there's even a, a computer program called Dominion that seems to be giving people trouble. And because it's all part of this desire, this satanic movement, the dark side of things. And by the way, don't be sucked into it. Keep your eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the reason for this message this morning is for us to go and say, we've got room for him. There is a desire for us to be able to look to him and make room in our hearts for him because we know that the kingdom of heaven is in, our, is in the heart of man. And, and really, it's, it's saying that you're going to open up the door to him. I think about how that many times we have all kinds of, of issues that we go through uh, to, to say that, that we have too much time uh, for, for everything else or time for everything else, but not time for the Lord. Um, that was on the mind of a songwriter. Um, his name was Daniel Webster Whittle. They called him Daniel Webster. Um, and of course, he was born November 22nd, 1840. He was born in Massachusetts. But he died March 4th, 1901. And I think it's interesting as he lived a very short life compared to most today. 61 years is not very long. I'm 59. I'll be 60 in June. And uh, if I was, had just a few more years to live, what would I do? How would I think? Um, maybe a little more differently. 
But, but Whittle was named after the American politician Daniel Webster, and Whittle reached the rank of major in the American Civil War, and for the rest of his life, he was known as Major Whittle. During the war, Whittle lost his right arm, and he ended up in a prisoner war camp, recovering from his wounds in the hospital. He looked for something to read, and so he found the little New Testament, and he took it to his area there and began to read it. Though its words resonated with him, he was still not ready to accept Christ. And shortly after he picked it up and was reading it, um, a hospital orderly woke him up and said a dying prisoner wanted someone to pray with him. But Whittle demurred, he was objected, if you would. But the orderly said, but, but I thought I saw you reading New Testament. I thought you were a Christian. And after, really, a little bit of a confrontation, uh, Whittle said he would. And I have seen you reading your Bible. And Whittle then agreed to go, and he recorded what took place at that dying youth's bedside. And I can't even imagine having a civil war. I can't even imagine what it was like to fight against your cousins or maybe even your family. He lost his right arm, and this major laying there in the bunk was asked to go and be with a young man that's dying. So he, he, he writes this in his account, I dropped onto my knees and held the boy's hand in mine. And in a few broken words, I confessed my sins, and I asked Christ to forgive me first. And then I believed right there that he did, that he forgave me. I felt it. I then prayed earnestly for the boy. He became quiet, and he pressed my hand as I prayed and pleaded God's promises upon his life. And when I arose from my knees, he was dead. A look of peace came over his troubled face, and I cannot, believe that, I cannot but believe that God used me to bring him to the Savior that particular night. I led him to trust Christ and his precious blood to find pardon. And he wrote, I hope, Major Riddle wrote, I hope I see him in heaven someday. What a glorious reunion that will be. In the final moments, in the final breaths, to be able to cry out to God. And after war, Riddle became the treasurer of Elgin's Watch Company in Chicago, Illinois. Missing an arm, he was still able to direct in less than 10 years, though he entered into uh, the evangelism field. Uh, ten years after he worked for the watch company. And during this period, he worked with musicians like Philip Bliss and James McCranahan. And his daughter, Mae Moody, also wrote music for some of his lyrics, at least, and of his decision to devote his life to the gospel. Whittle said that while at work, he went into a vault. And in the dead of silence, and in the quietness of places, I got on my knees and I gave my life completely to my Heavenly Father to use it as He would. I'll do anything. can't do much. And so he began to write songs. He wrote a banner of the cross. He wrote many, many, many songs, and I could list so many of them. The crowning day, he wrote that. I know who I have believed. I will pass over you. He wrote moment by moment. He wrote, there shall be showers of blessings. What an incredible man that God used to write all of these. But 
he wrote another song, and he wrote, Have You Any Room for Jesus? A song that was talking about how that many times we have uh, life's ambitions in our hearts and in our minds, but do we have room for him? And my question would be, do you have room for him? As you listen to the words of the song, have you any room for Jesus, he who bore your load of sin? And as he knocks and asks admission, sinner, will you let him in? Room for pleasure, room for business, but for Christ the crucified, not a place that he can enter in the heart for which he died. Room for Jesus, King of glory. Hasten now, his word obey. Swing the heart's door widely open and trust him. Bid him enter while you may. What a beautiful song, what beautiful words were written by somebody who was, went through what he went through. And a lot of times we think that your life is so insignificant that God can't use you. Let me tell you something, dear friend. God is in the business of using that which is insignificant. He is interested in using you and helping you do things for him. You say, but I'm just one person. I can't do much. It's like Gideon. You say, I am the least of my father's house. I can't do anything. But God desires to use you. Young man, you think you're insignificant? Good. That qualifies you for great things that God desires to do. We just read the George Mueller story in in the men's Sunday school class. And what a wonderful, wonderful story of a man who did great things. But you know what he saw? He saw the church of, he's a pastor in the Church of England. He said, you know what? It seems like everybody's sad. It seems like nobody wants to do anything. It seems like the faith is so small nowadays. And he thought, man, if God would just give me the ability to do something great. He saw the discouragement among the people in England in his day. And I see it today. I see it where people are thinking only like the, the, the government wants them to think. And they have no room for Jesus. It's important that we take the time of understanding during this quote-unquote pandemic and during this crisis in the White House and during what's going on in our world system that we would put that all aside and make time for Jesus. Make time in our minds. It's interesting how we're made up with the intellect and the emotion and the will. Many times these are These are dealt with. I think sometimes if I was to tell you a a story right now, you would understand it. Your intellect would would be sucked into the story. And I could tell you about how wonderful, how it was. And then I begin to move you into an understanding of a personal part of that story and how maybe you would sense the emotions and your, your eyes would swell up in tears. I watched a movie last night called The Chosen. It was about... Um, some Jewish people, and, uh, and how that it was during World War II, and how that God used a certain editor to be able to uh, help with the Jewish state, and that's what the desire was to, for the Jews to have Israel then established, and so that they could have a place to go, and, and, and their desire, of course, was never again, and, and that they would actually be in those places where that they were killed, and put in those gas chambers, and six million Jews were killed, and and this whole desire by Jewish people, what a beautiful story. But as I'm looking at it, the intellect is, is motivated. There's just something about stories that just, you get into them. And then pretty soon I'm like getting the Kleenex. 
And I'm wiping my eyes, I'm thinking. My, my emotions are moved by this. And I got up and put wood on the fire last night, and on the way I'm talking to God, and I'm saying, maybe you could use somebody today that would hear my voice this morning, would say, by God's grace, I'm going to do something great for God. You think you're insignificant, God can use you. And all of those difficulties that you've been through and all the heartaches and all the afflictions and all of that, God is preparing you for something great if you just step out and do something for God. Trust him. Get into his word and beg him, Lord. Reveal yourself to me. Go for a run and halfway through the run say, I'm not even going to run home until you show yourself to me, oh God. He will come to you. You just go halfway. He'll meet you there. He'll come to you running. He'll come to you and kiss your neck over and over and over again because he's your God and he has a desire for you to live for him. Many times we have this preoccupation because of our culture to keep us from these things. But it was intellectually moved last night and I was moved by my emotion, but I'm most interested in my will that I would have constantly laid at the feet of Jesus and say, it's not my will, but thine, O Lord. I can't keep going the way I need to go. I want to go your way. I want to do your desire. I want you to make me into what you want me to be. And here's my will. Isn't that what Jesus said? When he said, not my will, but thine, O Lord. You see, it's more than just the intellect. It's more than just the emotion. Because your intellect and your emotion can't save you. It is your will that's preoccupied. It's your will that God is after. I think a lot of times we think of Jesus knocking at the door of our mind and the intellectual person says, I have no room in my thinking for Jesus. I have science up here. And following the science, room for Jesus? I have none. Maybe they say, well, I'm a moral person. (laughs) Why do I need Jesus? I'm keeping the Ten Commandments the best I can. Maybe they say, well, it's physics. All the things that are, are moving forward is because of that. Maybe it's all history. Maybe it's even art that you have in your intellect and you're flooded with it. You're feeding it constantly. It's all fed and lodged there in your mind and the Messiah is outside knocking at your intellect, but you won't let him in because all you have on your mind is you. I think about how that many times we have him knocking at the door of our emotion. And the emotion person says, oh, I have all this love and this adoration and this affection for a certain period of time. I'm not going to let God in to my emotions. Oh, he's calling you, dear friend. And he's been knocking at your door for years and years and years. Would you let him in? Say, here Here's my emotions. Here's my love. Here's my all in all. I think about how that it comes to the will. Jesus is knocking at the door of your will. He wants to perform his work in that stubborn person who will not yield. A strong-willed person finds submission to be weakness and resists the very thought of entertaining anyone else's will. And so... 
The inn is full, and there's simply no room for him. For the Christian, the Bible says, set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth. Colossians chapter 3, verse number 2. It says in verse John, 1 John chapter 2, verse number 15, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, but if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. In Luke chapter 10, verse number 27, and he answered, said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. But in our culture, we have become so self-absorbed and self-sufficient. We simply think we have no need for him. Our self-interests have become so strong that we think we can We think about what Jesus can do for us rather than what we can do for him. And what can I get out of this Jesus? Should I make room for him? And at Christmas, the truth surfaces again. You simply can't live without him. We must submit to him. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. And the powers that be are ordained of God. So look at them as they fill the inn that day. Soldiers, look at them. People anxious, merchants, simple Jewish farmers coming back to where they were from. They're overflowing outside in front. Maybe some of them were circled around a fire, the laughter and the voices. And in the manger behind the inn, there's a small baby cry. And it would be the Messiah, their Savior, the Savior of the world. Interesting that God made your heart to know it's better with Christ. And he's knocking at your door. Would you open the door to the King of glory? I think about how that God gave me an opportunity this last week to go up and thank you so much for letting Brother Alfredo preach Wednesday night and be here. He needed, we need to keep him preaching. He's a great man. But he's got to have times to preach. I believe that God's not done with Brother Alfredo Olivares. I believe God wants to use him. And he's using Brother Mario, and I believe God wants to use him. But I had a chance to get away. For the first time, I left to go see my son, my grandson, who was in a program. And uh, you ever see a program full of children and then there's that one child that doesn't know how to, doesn't know the words to the song or is more preoccupied? And Well, my, that was my grandson. That's, that's, that's Graham. He was even going like this to the people. I don't know where he got that from. Why he would do that during a Christmas program, I don't know. But I got it all done, very humble setting. Small church, First Baptist Church of Nasita. Afterwards, they were having birthday cake. They circled around a manger scene in a room. There must have been maybe 15 children there. And they were circled around, and they sang happy birthday to Jesus. You know, And, and then they all left, and they had it all over their faces, and they were having a great time. But I walk up to that manger scene, and it's just huge. It probably would cover this table. The wood stable was huge. It was big. And there was a lot of things on it besides the baby Jesus. Uh, 
But I noticed it was kind of old. And, and the guy came up to me, a real tall fellow from the church. He said, my wife just painted that. I, thought, I began to look at the detail and how that the purple was different than the lavender colors. And they were just beautiful. And he says, yeah. He said, my wife did that. But she kept wiping the face of Jesus, or of Joseph, kept wiping it off. And I said, what are you doing? She would draw it again, and she would draw it again, and she would wipe it off and do it again. And she said, I want the eyes to look directly on Jesus. She wanted Joseph's eyes to be looking directly on Jesus. I thought to myself, that's exactly what's missing in our culture today. We've been preoccupied with all kinds of things. Remember those things I talk about? How that God is interested in us to grow up balanced physically? He, he wants us to grow intellectually, physically, intellectually. He wants us to grow socially and, and of course, uh, spiritually. And sometimes those get off balance. And I think that sometimes if we're not careful, we get we preoccupied. We got all this time for the physical. Man, we, we go online and we find what we should eat. We, we make sure that we, we don't have any sugar in it. It's got to taste bad in order to be good for us. Honestly, we think all these things, we, we go to the gym, we work out, we run, we try to physically just, it's almost to the place where we are so preoccupied with the physical. Sometimes we get so pre- preoccupied with the intellectual, we think, oh, I've got to get another degree, I've got to keep going to school, I've got to keep making money to pay for the school, uh, we've got to do something virtually, we've got, we got to keep going. And we can get preoccupied with the physical and the intellectual. We can get preoccupied even with religious things. Do you think that the preoccupation of religion was in place when Jesus was born in a stable? You bet it was. Because they were preparing in their religious way so strongly that they were missing the Messiah. And I tell you, when I think about the Jewish people and reading in in the book of Isaiah 53 where Jesus Christ is mentioned, they crucified Jesus Christ. Many of the Jews are still looking for the Messiah when he already came. He came and he died, but he said he'd come again. We know that's going to take place. But for us, we understand this. Sometimes religion, sometimes good things can take us away and get us preoccupied. Then there's the social part of things. And socially, we can be so preoccupied with people and things to do that we forget about Jesus Christ. And that's my message to you. So why should we look upon him? Why should we look at Jesus Christ? And why should the eyes be focused directly on him? The Bible tells us really clearly in Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. There's a lot in that verse. The Bible says in Jude one twenty one, keeping yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Looking to Jesus. Hebrews chapter 2, verse number 9, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death and crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death. And so why? Why should we keep our eyes on Jesus, number one? Because he is the righteousness of God. 
Jesus Christ is the righteousness of God and we are not. And so in order to be able to have the righteousness of God, we must by faith receive Christ. The Christ then that we know that came as a baby came for redemption's sake to redeem us. And he paid the sin penalty for us. He paid the price. And so Christmas is wonderful, but it reminds us of what Jesus Christ has come to do. And he is the righteousness of God. And the righteousness of God then is imputed unto us through Jesus Christ. That's why it's important for us to go further than just to know who he is. We receive him. To those that received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. You know of Jesus, but have you opened the door? Do you have room for him? Are you so preoccupied that you don't have room for the righteousness of God? He came to earth and walked among us. Why should we believe in him? And why should we keep our eyes upon him? Because he is the righteousness of God. Number two is because he is the reconciliation of man. Man cannot be reconciled to God without Christ, without Jesus Christ. He is the only way. And he told his disciples, as they were drawing close to the time of his departure, he tells them, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. That's why we look to Jesus. That's why it's important for that lady to to, to make sure that those eyes are looking directly on Jesus Christ. And you and me ought to direct our children's eyes upon Jesus Christ. Because he is the righteousness of God. Because he is the reconciliation of man. But also because he is the reality of life. Jesus brings life to us. That's why we keep our eyes upon him, being preoccupied. Oh, this world system, man, right now, you could be preoccupied with all kinds of things. You could be preoccupied so strongly that that you believe that we're going to go to war January 6th. We could. But if you get preoccupied on that, you know what happens? You get your eyes off of Jesus. So what if we do go to war January 6th? Wouldn't it be better to keep your eyes on Jesus today? <laughs> we, we, we may have this trouble thinking that everybody's going to die with the second coronavirus. You know the second one coming? They didn't really do what they could do during the first one. So part of the problem was Donald Trump, you know. He's kind of in the way of the, of the one world order, by the way, if you haven't figured that out yet. Donald Trump was kind of in the way, you know. But they're going to remove him quickly, maybe soon, I don't know. And when they do, it'll be easy for the next administration to usher it in. It won't be very long. For America to be like other countries, I've always told my sons, don't become like them or you never lead them. And if our country becomes like other countries, we'll never lead them anymore. All those beautiful pictures in the Pentagon that I saw of our help since the 19th, since the 1900s, way back, even in the 1800s, us rushing to help all around the world. America has been so blessed, and we've been able to bless the world. Will it happen again? It's up to God. But I know what we need to do, keep our eyes on Jesus Christ. Because we get into these little problems because we start thinking, and then pretty soon we have offenses are made, and then pretty soon we, we get upset, and then... And we get preoccupied instead of keeping our eyes upon Jesus Christ. Whether it's the issues in the White House 
whether it's the issues in the hospitals, all the people dealing with this coronavirus, all the things that are going on, we can get our eyes off of Jesus Christ if we're not careful. I was thinking about the comment that was made to me, you can't scare me with heaven. You know, And I think it's important for us to know that whatever happens in the future, 2021, the best thing we can do is keep our eyes on Christ. And we got a wonderful, wonderful end. And it keeps getting brighter and brighter with Jesus. The walk gets better and better. I was talking to someone just recently, maybe it was my Sunday school class this morning, that I wish I would have known that little slogan, you can't scare me with heaven when I was in the Marine Corps. Because there was times that night when I was pretty scared. You know, what was I ever going to do? 140 pounds? You know, all I knew what to do is drive a tank, you know. But if I know Jesus Christ is my Savior and I keep my eyes upon Him, everything else seems to be so little. Everything else seems to be so dim when I keep my eyes on Him. Dear friend, what's keeping you from opening your door? Not only of your intellect and your emotion, but your will to Jesus. Is it religion? Some say, well, I don't need Jesus. I've got my religion. Oh, you're going to need Jesus. That's one of the things I like about Christianity. We can take Jesus Christ with us wherever we go. He's right here, everywhere we go. Amen? Amen. Have you opened the door to your heart? Have you said yes to him? If you haven't, today's the day that you would say, yes, Lord, yes. Have your will and have your way. I'll say, yes, Lord, yes. I'll trust you and obey. And when your spirit speaks to me with my whole heart, I'll agree. My answer will be yes, Lord, yes. Every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. Maybe you're here, maybe you're at home this morning. And you've been preoccupied. There's been no room for him. You got room for everything else. But him of who's most important, you find no time for. Maybe it's, you need to come this morning and just kneel down. I don't know. Maybe you've been doing really well. And this message wasn't for you. Then would you just pray? Pray for others that have been slipping back. Pray that the Lord would draw them to himself. And pray that they would make things right with God. Time is too short to be preoccupied. We don't sleep like the world. We don't drink and be drunken like the world. Not flooded and intoxicated by the things of this world. We know that this world is not our home. We're just passing through. And maybe this morning you need to come. Let me ask you a question this morning. No one's looking around. Do you know for sure you're going to heaven? Maybe there's some doubts in your mind. I want to pray for you. And maybe this morning you'd say, Pastor Howell, I, I, I don't know for sure if I'm saved. Would you pray for me? Is there anyone like that? Just lift up your hand, put it back down again. No one's looking around. Thank you. 
Is there anyone else would say, pray for me because I'm not sure, still not sure that I'm going to heaven. I want to, but I'm not sure. Is there anyone? Just lift up your head and put it back down again. And Christian, this message was for you too. Maybe there's somebody here that say, you know, I've been preoccupied by many things. I just want to be honest before God. I need you to pray for me, Pastor, because God's dealing with my heart. And would you pray for me? I'm saved, but I'm struggling. Is there anyone like that? Lift up your hand and put it back. Thank you. Thank you for your honesty. Anyone else? Say, I'm struggling this morning. Thank you. Anyone else? I'll pray for you. I won't mention you, but I'll pray for you. Thank you for your honesty. May God bless you. If you need to come and just kneel down at an old-fashioned altar and thank the Lord for a good year, if you just need to pray for him, pray to him for your future, then you should come and kneel down here at an old-fashioned time with the Lord. With every head bowed and every eye closed, would you please stand as a congregation? I'm going to pray, and as soon as I'm done praying, the piano's going to begin, and so also will the invitation if you need to come. Father, I pray that you bless the invitation in Jesus' name. Amen.